Show number 101 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. I love that music. I'm so happy you found it. Well, it, you know, I'm really thinking that if you get yourself in the right frame of mind, you will never be without Star Trek because <laughs> it is everywhere. And I want to tell everybody where I found this. It was amazing. Uh, we were driving along, and we had the classical station on, mm-hmm. and this beautiful piece of music came on, and I said, oh, this has to be Ravel. Mm-hmm. Turns out I was right because I, I know these things. But in the middle of it came... The Kirk's about to get laid music, you know, music to go all soft focus by or whatever you want to call it. I was like, oh my God. So Alexander Courage stole this from Ravel. Uh So when I got home. from the best. Yes. So when I got home, you know, I logged onto the radio station to find out the name of it. And it is Ravel's Introduction and Allegro. And I found a recording or a video of, of a group of people playing mm-hmm. it on YouTube, so then I just recorded from there, and I have now made that my ringtone. That was amazing. When we were standing <coughs> in my kitchen before and your phone rang, it really sounded like Starfleet was calling you on your phone because it has that otherworldly sound. I know. Oh, Isn't it wonderful? It's very cool. We may have to use that as incidental music. Oh, I think show. so. Yeah, it's Because good. it's... It's so special. It's very good. You know, I, I was just reminded that I had a, a slightly Star Trekish dream last night. But it wasn't about Captain Kirk. It was about. It was actually about Patrick Stewart. It wasn't uh-huh. about Captain Picard. And I dreamt that Patrick Stewart um, had a, a custom-made house built for him in Denmark. And I really wanted to see it. And somehow I was a superhero, so I flew there. Oh. And I also, and it was in the middle of this like sort of Arctic um, landscape, and mm-hmm. it was this huge house that was white. And it had some windows, and it had a lot of very dark wood, and it was all by itself, and um, no one was home. And because I was a superhero, I could get inside without anybody detecting me. And I just kind of wandered around and looked at all his stuff. In his, it was did he have like, neat stuff? He had nice stuff. It was very nice. It was mm-hmm. kind of like um, a little bit like I want to hold your hand, but I wasn't like slobbering <laughs> on things. I love that movie. I love that movie too. But yeah, but it was it was really cool. I had a sort of Star Trek <laughs> dream, dream last night too. Uh-huh. Um, Captain Kirk had a younger brother mm. named John, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't quite understand the circumstances. I think I was visiting them in Iowa, wow. like home for the holidays mm. or cool. something, and it was very dark wherever I was, and this man came up in the dark and started kissing me, and I thought... It was curved. Well, of course you would. But until I felt the tickle of the mustache, (gasps) then I realized it was John. And he had a huge heart on, so obviously they're brothers. (laughs) You need to blog that. Oh, okay. It's a dream blog. I mean, it counts. (laughs) It does. It does, even though Kirk wasn't in it. Well. Hey, it's our blog, It's our blog. You can do whatever you like. Okay. That's that's awesome. So this is our Christmas show. It is our Christmas show because it is still December. It's not Christmas yet. 
Um, the, Christmas is going to continue, though, because I'm really lame, and I don't have your present right now. But I have your present. I know. I'm so excited. So we're going to do the beautiful wrapping paper that we have here and this festive little ribbon at the top. Now, you've taped them together. Well, I want to point out before okay. you start tearing into them. First of all, I did use foil because, I mean, I did use um, tissue uh -huh. because we love tissue paper. Mm -hmm. And um, the beauty and classiness of the wrapping paper totally belies the tackiness of the gifts oh, I can't within. <laughs> so, go for do it. Do I do the big one or the small it one? Doesn't it doesn't matter. matter. Okay, I'm going to do the small one because it's, it's on top and it's wrapped in this lovely gold paper quite reminiscent of Kirk's tunic, this mm -hmm. color paper that you've got. Yes, well, that's, that's what I thought too. Oh, it's a box! Thank you! <laughs> oh, I knew you'd like it! <laughs> I think, well, as long as they keep doing really tacky ones. Oh, my God. This is possibly one of the tackiest things I've ever seen. Yes. It is a Hallmark keepsake uh, Christmas tree ornament, and it is the Trouble with Tribbles. So it's Kirk standing in a pile of Tribbles with a really weird expression on his face, and it doesn't look like Kirk at all. Let me see it. He, it looks like Superman. It I haven't like, seen it since um, I Sort of. It does. Kentish. And there are, like, at least three times more tribbles yeah. than there ever were. And it, it's um, the background is sort of a Star Trek Enterprise gray thing. And I'm not sure we're going to have to open it. Does it talk? Well, I think it might be here. You want to hear what talk? it says? Yes. One of Star Trek's most memorable episodes, The Trouble with Tribbles, first aired in 1967. The trouble with these soothing little furballs is that they reproduce at warp speed and go boldly through Space Station K-7, eating anything that's not nailed down, including an entire shipment of grain entrusted to Captain Kirk's care! Exclamation point! In the end, however, the Tribbles, who hate Klingons, expose a Klingon agent who has poisoned the grain. As a parting gift, the remainder of them are beamed aboard the enemy ship where Mr. Scott promises there'll be no Tribble at all. Boy, that's like a spoiler for the whole episode there. What if you haven't seen it? Well, you know what else? I always thought that was an amazingly cruel thing to do to the Tribbles. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because the triple, the Klingons probably just incinerated them. Oh, wow. Press the button on the base <gasps> of the ornament to hear. Well, let's, let's just press it. the button. I'm not going to tell you what it says they do. All right. All right. Let's see. What, have you opened this? Have you looked at it? I saw it in the store. I haven't um, played with it. What it is hell? still mint in plastic. It has triples that, that rattle around in here. Well, you're, you're going to see what happens. Right. I think this may... may um, the Wrath of Khan fun. <laughs> Hallmark is really outdoing itself. Do you know, I was at work the other day, and Logan sent me um, a link to that ornament. And he goes, have you seen this thing? I said, I have that thing. <laughs> okay, am I supposed to do something? You, there's a button on the bottom. Okay, Maybe we have to put batteries in it, bud. We do need to put batteries in it. Oh, oh! It needs AAA. I have AAA batteries. Okay, but we'll have to we'll have to stop and and get the batteries. Should I tell you what it does, or should we just wait until we? Have oh, batteries? oh, let's wait. Don't tell me. Okay, don't tell okay. Me. But but so I'm looking at it, and okay, now he doesn't look quite so much like Clark Kent as he did on the front, but he's in a little um, he's in the agony booth. It looks like right here because of the 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 glass. Oh, and the, the Starfleet the, emblem on top. Cute. But he looks like he's in a little agony booth. An agony booth of tribbles. Yeah. You know who he looks like because of his eyes? He looks like that alien Harry from uh, 
third rock from the sun, the guy whose eyes were always closed. <laughs> he does. Yeah, he, he looks like he's stoned. And his his fingers look webbed. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow, stoned That's Kirk weird. with webbed fingers. And he's got this weird body posture, like he's, he's, he's sticking his neck out, like he's going like this. Mm. <laughs> his jaw is all jutted out. Well, we'll have to get some batteries all right, during well, the break. During the break, but uh, this is extremely tacky. This is great. Mm-hmm. I love it. And it's so heavy. I can't imagine you actually hanging this on a tree. The whole tree <laughs> would like the, you know, the Grinch tree. Just, oh, this is awesome. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I love it. I'm going to put it right over here for now. And now... It really is huge for a Christmas ornament. This is a bigger gift. Oh, it rattles. I like things that rattle. Oh, okay. Next year I'll keep you broken glass. <laughs> <gasps> Yay! It's the Pez! It's the Pez! I'm so glad you got me the Pez because I was going to buy it. <laughs> now we can never open this. We can't! <laughs> You know what really cracks me up the most about the Pez? Star Trek aside, on the back, there's nutritional information. <gasps> wow, let's see. <laughs> Calori- uh, okay, serving size, one roll. Calories, 35 per serving. That's actually not that That's bad. That's not bad. I, it's probably because the actual Pez themselves are a little bit sugar and mostly like maltodextrose or something, like filler. I always thought they were nasty. Wow. Okay, so this was the thing that we blogged about way back when. It has a number on it. Did you notice that? No, it, it I has, didn't. This is, they only made um, a quarter of a million of them. Right, right. <laughs> and this is one of them. It, this is number one, 148,557, limited edition. What, you know where I got them? Target? Yes, but you know where? Where? In the Christmas section. <laughs> Not in the candy section where there are other Pez things. So nothing says Christmas like Sucking Pez out of this is so awesome. The Enterprise. This is the most awesome of all. Look at the things. Enterprise. Yeah. Why, why is it coming out of a big blob of um, like grape flavored bubble gum? It's supposed <laughs> to be. I found out a nebula. It looks like a big wad of grape flavored <laughs> bubble gum. <laughs> no. And it's crashing into a planet at the same time. <laughs> they they had too much um, holiday wow. grog. So so let's let's look at everybody here. So Ohura doesn't really look like Michelle Nichols. Okay, the sun is reflecting. Yeah. She just looks like a black a Actually, black you know woman. who she looks like? Who? She looks like the, the big drag queen from the Mud's Tranny <laughs> Women. True. Right, she does. Chekhov is cross-eyed. That, and that's appropriate. Yeah. Um, McCoy sort of looks like McCoy. But he's very surprised. He does look surprised. Maybe he just had a facelift. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, for the best. Now, why are their lips gray? Except for Scotty, who has pink lips. What, what, like gray lips, gray lips, gray lips? Uh, Sulu has no lip color. Oh, okay. So I don't know about that. I know why. Why? They've been eating too many grape pears. <laughs> and he's, um, um, Scotty's been eating the cherry ones. Exactly. Okay. So Kirk kind of sort of looks like him. But it's one of the times when the toupee is a little too high on his forehead. Yeah, I think so. Um, this actually looks like Spock, pretty much. Pissed off. Pissed but off, yeah. yeah. Scotty kind of looks like Scotty. Uh, it, it's the hair that makes him look Scotty-ish. Mm. And um, Sulu sort of looks like Sulu. Sort of. You know who Sulu looks most like? Who? When Sulu is on Futurama. <laughs> You're right, he does. <laughs> you are absolutely right about that. Actually, now that I'm looking at Scotty, he looks a little bit more like, um, 
you know the ventriloquist dummy Jerry Mahoney? That's <laughs> what he does. Oh, God. He does. He does. And Spock does look pissed off. Actually, I think they tried to make him have one raised eyebrow. Because look, they're not even. That's right. He's got a slight... He's very pissed off about being on something as frivolous as... Uh, as Pez. Pez. That's so awesome. McCoy's sort of rearing back like, whoa, <laughs> look at him. He is. He does. Although, you know what he, he, who he also looks like here? He looks like Eddie Izzard. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> and you know what? I think um, Chekhov is... Um, Re, they reused the mold from when they did the monkeys pads. Oh, let me see. Because he does look like Davy Jones. Oh my God, he does. <laughs> You're absolutely right. I don't. Did they ever make monkeys pads? Well, maybe they decided not, not to, to make but, it, they, but they, they say oh, we the have mold. this mold and we'll just use it. You're absolutely right. He looks like Davy Jones. <laughs> and on the, the back, group. it tells you a bunch of crap I haven't read. Let's see. <clears throat> Captain James T. Kirk was born in Iowa on Earth. Oh, it's good that they clarify that. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was <laughs> Iowa on Jupiter. <laughs> Iowa, USA. The youngest officer to achieve the rank of captain, Kirk has achieved notoriety Ooh. for his cunning and resourcefulness. Kirk has earned the admiration and respect of his peers, his crew, and even his enemies. He is one of Starfleet's most highly decorated officers. I don't think that's true. I don't think he is one of Starfleet's most highly they're, decorated They're obviously fan pickers. Let's because see. it's not even canon that he's the youngest captain. No, it's not. It's uh, just that every captain we saw was older than him. Yeah, let's see. Spock. The first Vulcan to attend Starfleet Academy. Again, Fan Fanon. Spock is regarded as the finest first officer in the fleet, which isn't saying much. His father is a Vulcan ambassador. His mother is a school teacher from Earth. Spock's Vulcan nature is constantly at war with his human side. Because he was never able to fit in on either Vulcan or Earth, Spock considers Starfleet his true home. He is intensely loyal to Captain Kirk. Well, that's all true. That, that is true. What does it say about the Enterprise? And why is it in a nebula rock <laughs> purple gum? Launched in 2245, the original USS Enterprise NCC-1701 was built in the San Francisco shipyards. The Constitution-class starship was previously captained by Christopher Pike before coming under the command of Captain James T. Kirk. Its historic five-year mission from 2264... What? Uh, 2269, under Kirk's command, cemented its place as perhaps the most famous starship in history. Hmm. Let's see. No mention of the nebula? No, it doesn't say anything about the... the so group, if um, I hadn't read this crap online, we would we never would know never what know. the hell we that just was. I think that it was like a horrible disfiguring disease <laughs> or something. <laughs> Young and eager, Ensign Pavel Chekhov mans the Enterprise's navigation console and also fills in at Spock's science station when needed. Chekhov tends to think that the most important inventions originated in Russia, his place of birth. A talented navigator, Chekhov is an instrumental member of Captain Kirk's bridge crew. Okay. Very good. <laughs> I wish it said who wrote these, but it doesn't. What does it say about Uhura? Um, a highly skilled communications officer, Lieutenant Uhura has a beautiful voice, and she often entertains her fellow crew members by singing during her off-duty hours. Time and again, Uhura has proven her mettle aboard the USS Enterprise, both on the bridge and as a valued member of landing parties. Uhura's name means freedom in Swahili, her native tongue. You know, they, they mention Enterprise in almost everybody's biography except for Spock's. Like, the name of the ship, Enterprise. Mm -hmm. It's in everybody's but Spock's. Wow. 
Well, this is a collector's item, as, of course, is the uh, AAA thing. Yeah. So I suggest we take a break, uh -huh. get some batteries in our, oh, our yeah, ornament, and figure out what the hell that does. Okay, because I, I want to see. I okay. Hope, I hope it's good. All right. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Things Bill wants you to know. Email to lookathisbutt at gmail.com. Show notes at lookathisbutt.blogspot.com. This entire podcast recorded on an Apple PowerBook with GarageBand. This is TSFPN.com, the sci-fi podcast network. You found the best podcast in the universe. All right, we're back with batteries. <laughs> back with batteries. I hope they work. They, they were supposed to be good batteries. All right, I'm going to press the button now. Okay. I want these things off the ship. I don't care if it takes every man we've got. I want them off the ship. <laughs> oh, it keeps doing it. Let me see. Okay, let me describe what it's doing. Okay. So it talks, obviously. Of course. When you press the button, there's a little mechanism in the back where it sucks the, the, the loose triples up from the bottom and dumps them on his head. Oh, this is too much. <laughs> and they look like they're breathing they and moving. All we have to do is quit feeding. Quit feeding them, they stop breathing. <laughs> no, they don't. So it says different things. The, what the, the con one had, what, three or four things? Yeah. Well, it's still pooping out triples. Okay, let's try another one. Until that board of inquiry, I'm still a captain. And as captain, I want two things done. First, find Cyrano Jones. And second, close that door. <laughs> I love the triples fall out. <laughs> this is too funny. Should I do it once more? Oh, well, you should do it once okay. more. It's your toy. So funny. There must be like a little conveyor belt in the back that just picks them up and, and dumps them on his head. Now, <laughs> I have to say, the loose ones don't look like tribbles at all because they're perfectly round and they've got grooves in them. So they kind of look like dung balls. Dung balls? <laughs> you know, like the, the little dung beetles. Oh, okay. <laughs> look at them. Look at how weird they are. I have to hit it to see some. They are perfectly round. All we have to do is quit feeding. Quit feeding them, they stop breathing. <laughs> okay. Um. Well, it depends, I guess, on how many mind-altering drugs you've had. But the other ones don't look like triples either. They could look like um, rocks, but if you kind of squint, they look like a big pile of skulls. <gasps> Yeah, or sponges. Or sponges. Possibly, but yeah, I could get the skull thing out of it for sure. This is amazing. This is so great. And I think I'm going to have to get my um, 
my camera out with the film setting and make a little video of what happened. <gasps> okay. When you press it okay. Too, so that everybody can see the the glory of this thing. Thank you. You're welcome. It's awesome. I really like it. Oh, good. <laughs> Yay. Well, while we're on the topic of gifts, yes. here's one we all missed out on. But we need to share it with you all anyway. Is this the eBay thing? Yes. Oh, okay. This was an item on eBay. Excuse me. It was a Kirk and Uhura doll. Mm -hmm. And um, Uhura is naked. And her hair is wild. <laughs> and Kirk is Kirkish with his fly open. <laughs> So I'm sure right after this picture was taken, uh -huh. like it barely gone click, when the, the Kirk doll just jumped on the Ohura doll and well, had his way. And also his phaser is strategically uh, positioned sort of in front of his crotch there, very yes. symbolically. I also want to um, applaud the uh, photographer's attention to futuristic detail by photographing them in front of bubble wrap. <laughs> it's pretty darned amazing. Wait, I'm going to sneeze. Oh! <laughs> Thank you for not sneezing right into the microphone. Okay, I'm a pro. But what I wanted to um, read, if I can find it again, is the description. Okay. Migo, Star Trek, Lieutenant Uhura, and Captain Kirk figures eight inches tall. Three exclamation points. Please read the description. Good. She is sold as parts only. Her joints are good, not tight. She has some marks on her neck. Her lips has rubs. This is written by those LOL cats. Her hair is dry and messed up. This is all followed by exclamation points. And every word is capitalized. Yes. I don't know if it was cut. She has some marks on her body. She has lines on both legs going down. Her skin color is light in some places. There are no clothes or shoes for her. Captain Kirk is great condition. Tight joints, clean clothes, no head rubs. <laughs> But what if he likes head rubs? Well, then you have to give him his head rubs. Oh, that is too funny. Yeah. Man, Uhura's messed up. She does look messed up. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently she has no nipples. No, I don't think the Mego dolls did. She has great hips, though. Yeah. <laughs> she looks so pissed off. She does. She actually looks like she's about to grab his phaser. Mm -hmm. Her hand is like... And shoot her herself. Maybe, maybe, or maybe she's going to shoot the person who's auctioning them off. But. <laughs> and then shoot herself? Maybe. I mean, she's uh, she's been road hard and put away wet. <sighs> poor, poor woman. Poor Ahura. Yeah. So we missed out on bidding on that. Uh, I'm sorry. You know, that was going for 60 bucks for those two guys. Well, if you look at this, the seller's other objects or, or items for sale, he has a whole bunch of share dolls oh, that are going for hundreds. $250. But one has a growing hair share doll. Ew. We're assuming it's the hair on her head oh. in a rare outfit. That's kind of weird. Yeah. So. Uh, well, that's a cool thing. I like that. Yes, and I think it was Itty who alerted me to that <laughs> eBay find. Well, I'll post that picture up on the blog so yeah. people can um, revel in it. Yeah, that would be good. Um, I wanted to uh, talk about that picture of, speaking of Ahura, Ahura uh -huh. on the bridge. Oh. So now that photograph came from... This blog I found called My Star Trek Scrapbook. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh my God, what is this? Scrapbook. It turned out not to be about scrapbooking. Mm -hmm. It's just this person who has a lot of things that probably were in a real scrapbook 
newspaper articles, photos, and things that, that they are posting. And that one, I went, I have never seen this. I have never seen anything like this. And I almost think that it's like an outtake where they're sort of setting up and the rest of them are sort of getting in, in place. And, I agree. And she decided to just <laughs> go for it. She's never out front. It's just amazing. It's a great picture. So it's a picture of, I'll, I'll put up, I'll, I'll probably blog the picture itself. The picture is already on the blog. Oh, is it? Yeah, I'm looking for it now. Okay. Um, I think it's, it's We've been blogging we have been so blogging much so much, so I need to go back to, um, how do you go to a previous page? You have to, uh, it's stupid the way it's set up. You have to go to the archives for the month. Oh, okay. So let me go back. Okay, so it's probably in November. Yes, if you haven't been going to the blog lately. Oh, speaking of the blog, while we're looking for this. Here um, it is. Okay. Um, let me just interrupt our, ourselves to say <laughs> that we added a new feature to the blog. A long time ago, we used to have a mailing list, and I would send out updates on when we had new shows, but then I got lazy and stopped doing it. But now, it happens automatically. So if you want to be notified when new stuff is posted to the blog, you can either set up an RSS feed in blog lines, and I know some of you have been doing that, but you can also sign up at the blog to get email whenever there's something new posted. And they'll just be delivered to your box automatically, and it's a, a summary of it so that you don't have to click through to go, go to the blog if you don't want to. You can just read the stuff in mm -hmm. your email like that. So I make it very easy for you to keep up with what we're doing. And we are going to be blogging even more mm -hmm. because we were looking through our list of things and we realized we could talk for days and not hit them all. Mm -hmm. So some of them are just going to be blogged, maybe with comments by us, and we sure love your comments. And we've been noticing that we get a lot more comments when we do this. But yes. this picture, another reason I think it's not a real picture, I mean a publicity uh -huh. picture for sure, is you can see the uh, the lights above them oh, are yeah. actually in the picture. Yep, yep, I can see it. But it's really fun to look at... Uh, the expressions on people's faces and who's looking at what because Chekhov is practically drooling. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Bill looks a little preoccupied or something. Bill looks to me like he's trying to, you know, catch a glance but still look like a professional. They all look like they're not ready to have their picture taken. Except yes. for <laughs> Except for Michelle. So, uh, she, she's like posing. She's got um, one leg up on the um, navigation portion of the bridge. Mm -hmm. And then the other one behind her has got her hand on her hip. And she's sticking her butt out. And she's looking at the camera like, I am just so hot. And her skirt is totally, totally it's, ridden it's up. all the way up. Yeah. yeah. So you can see her little red panties. And, and yeah. And uh, like I said, Chekhov is completely appreciative of... Her efforts. Yeah, it's, a, it's a great, great picture. So we posted this, um, it was in November, so if you go back and look through the blog postings in November, you can see this beautiful picture, and it is beautiful. It's it a is. Cool color. It's, 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 it's really, it's professionally taken, obviously, so I totally agree with you that this was an outtake from some other photo session mm -hmm. that they were doing. Oh, and we should talk about this incredible EVE one <laughs> that's right um, <laughs> below it. And it, again, this picture I'd never seen, this is... A photo of Nimoy, Kelly, and Shatner recording the animated series, mm -hmm. and Bill is leaning over and laughing, and his protrusion <laughs> is, you know, if you enlarge it and are on a good computer, 
It's yep. pulling the pants. It is. It's absolutely pulling the pants. So, yep. As you said, always a pro. Yes. Oh, always right there. Always I in character. Say, that is one of the worst toupees on him I have ever seen. Oh, you you managed to look at that? <laughs> I can never peel my eyes off the bottom corner of well, the picture. The funny thing about this toupee is that you can actually see a lot of his head. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I don't know if he like just. Slap it, it on for the picture, but you can see more of what he might look like without hair. Mm -hmm. See? Oh, yeah, you're right. You know, because there's a lot of head, not forehead, there's head shown. Right. Yeah. And it's pretty shiny. You're right. So, you know, it was like, I don't know, maybe when he's doing this kind of stuff, he has his toupee in its little toupee carrier case, <laughs> just in case someone's going to take a picture, and he takes it out, and he puts it on really quick, just so they can take and you know what else? Okay, Leonard's wearing a horrible shirt. Yeah. And a, and a vest, so he looks like a nerd. Um, I think this might be the only out-of-uniform picture I've ever seen of DeForest Kelly where he's not wearing a cravat. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> he does have a pretty wide collar, though, i got to say. Yeah, that. well, you know, <laughs> 70s, what can we say? Bill's wearing a really tight, um, like, sports shirt. Uh -huh. A big watch. A giant watch. And a big ring on his finger. Yeah. A big manly ring. And a big manly heart <laughs> on. Oh, true. I love our guy. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, so you guys are going to want to check out the blogging for the past month or so because <laughs> we have been doing our it's job. True. So here's a thing that um, I haven't blogged yet, but I'm going to. And let me try to find this. Um, the good thing about having a friend like Logan <laughs> is that he comes up with all kinds of really fun stuff so that I don't have to. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> so, so he's been doing my job for me lately in the Star Trek blogging department. Well, aren't you lucky? I have no one doing my job so, in any department. I know, so I'm really happy about that. So um, I have been blogging some of the stuff that he's done, and uh, he just keeps doing stuff that I I'm like, oh, this is great. I don't have to do it. So I'm going to actually send you this so that you can look at it. So oh, okay. Hold on just a second. Are you sending it iChat? I am iChatting it to you because we are just so hip with the technology. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we can't lean over and look at each other's no, computer. No, no, that would be that would be way too old school. So this is a person who makes um, who does photo manipulations, and mm -hmm. they've been he's been doing I think it's a he been doing kind of these Victorian steampunk movies, <gasps> and he did a trip <gasps> series. They are so amazing! Oh my god! <laughs> these are. Oh my God! They're beautiful. They're they are beautiful. beautiful, and what are Chekhov and Sulu doing? I don't know. Oh, they have giant oh, unicycles. They have, they're, they're the um, uh, the bicycles, the penny farthing bikes. Yeah. yeah, not unicycles. So he's taking these beautiful pictures, and they're sepia toned, so they yes. really look like Victorian photos. And he's tried to make a lot of them posing with kind of. Um, like steampunkish, you know, like mechanical stuff. Uh huh. In this case, he's dressed up like a British officer. Yes. And they're really amazingly well done. They're just gorgeous. So I'll put these up so people can go look at them. <laughs> oh, amazing. these are so so clever. And Uhura with the thing in her ear. Yeah. She looks like kind of a, a Civil War, uh, you know. Uh, yes. It's great. And Spock's got a big mechanical, you know, steampunkish thing in front of him with wheels and dials and all kinds of stuff. Wow, this Kirk Lives thing is amazing. That thing is pretty awesome also. So it's what, if Kirk had lived, what might he look like? And it's uh, uh, Kirk with hair and a, and a beard and aged. 
It's an amazingly good job of photoshopping, I think. Mm -hmm. That is amazing. Wow. Well, <laughs> Gandalf Christmas, what is this? i got to go look. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just now into... Uh, Oh my God, is that funny. So it is amazing what people can do. Given the time when they should be doing other things, yep. uh, my hat is off to this person. Those are wonderful. Yeah. So and, I, and the person's name is Rabbit Tooth. Rabbit Tooth, yeah. So I encourage people to go have a look. But it's, uh, it's awesome. Good, good work, Rabbit Tooth. Are there any comments or anything? Oh, I don't know. This got put around in a couple of places. I don't remember if it was on Boing Boing or what, but um, it's definitely made the rounds on the internet. Okay. It's cool. I love it. It's cool. Okay. I'll stop doing that now. So anyway, I just wanted you to see, I wanted you to react to that. Yes. Those those are so wonderful. But the the uh, Chekhov and Sulu with the uh, bicycles. That is too funny. Oh, wait. So, okay, go ahead. Let's go from the sublime to the ridiculous. So okay. I was home last night and uh, I was flipping around the channels and Star Trek Nemesis was on. Uh, yeah, I saw that. I didn't watch okay. it. Okay. <laughs> I, I have never seen it. So I thought, oh, well, it's on TV, it's free. I was actually doing other stuff at the time. I was blogging, mm -hmm. doing various other stuff. So I thought, okay, I'll put this on and watch it. It's a really stupid fucking movie, is my, my complete review of it right there. And there are so many reasons why it's a stupid fucking movie. So, <laughs> number one, it's a buddy movie between Picard and Data. Is this one where Picard's like an action hero? It's one of the ones where Picard is no, an But I mean, hero. he's like super buffed up and shirtless. That's a different one. Oh, okay. That was insurrection. Oh, God. Okay. But he still does really stupid stuff in this. Like, they go down to a planet to investigate something, and he drives a dune buggy around on the planet. Right, and then eventually they have Data's head in yes, the glove box. exactly. <laughs> so why a dune buggy? Why are they driving around like that? And then, you know, there are these Mad Max guys who come and shoot at them and all the rest of it. Yeah, it's why? all coming why back to me. So, so that was number one. Number two, the whole plot, and for those of you who haven't seen it, sorry, I'm going to spoil it for you now. Um, is that the Romulans, there, there's a new guy who's in charge of the Romulans, and his name is Shinzon, and he's supposedly a clone of Picard. And then it becomes Picard versus Shinzon, or should I say, Picard versus Caligula, as played by John Hurt. Because that's, <laughs> that's pretty much who he is, if you remember that. From, I'm remembering from it. Claudius, okay? Yeah. So, I'm remembering that there was a huge amount of publicity about this Shinzon. And a, a side note, at... Um, at the time this movie was about to come out, I was working at Apple, mm -hmm. and um, I had to go to a printing press to approve the covers of these books we were uh -huh. putting out. And while I was there, they had they had produced the 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 teaser poster uh -huh. of a bald guy from the back yeah, with the big yeah, cape yeah. on it. This image, yes, yeah. and the whole thing was. Is it Picard? Is uh -huh. it Shinzon? And I thought, either way, they're wearing an Empire <laughs> waist dress. But um, So they gave me the poster, and of course I brought it into work, and all of our geeks went insane, and I finally had to give it to somebody. Maybe you, maybe one of the geeks. But anyway, so um, yeah, now I'm remembering this bad movie. Go okay. ahead. So so this is supposed to be Picard's clone, and he is, if, you have, if you haven't seen I, Claudius, you really need to see it for a lot of reasons, <laughs> because it's an awesome, awesome piece of BBC, you know, drama. And because it's not Nemesis. And it's because it's not Nemesis, <laughs> so you, you should watch I, Claudius and not Nemesis. But anyway, 
John Hurt was Caligula in that, and he played Caligula so over the top. It was such an amazing performance as sort of psychotic and effeminate and really educated and really mean and just anything and liable to do anything at a moment's notice. And he was brilliant in that role. And I think that's how people think of Caligula now. It's like, yeah. Because whatever other interpretations there are, that's the one that sticks with people. And this actor who plays Shinzon clearly chose that <laughs> as his template for this okay. role. He doesn't look anything like Patrick Stewart. Is part of the problem. So you're supposed to believe that this guy is a clone, but yet he doesn't resemble him in any way. Right. He doesn't have any hair. <laughs> well, I figured they were they were counting on the same sort of suspension of disbelief as the movie where Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito played twins. Oh, right, but that was a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> this wasn't? Oh, gosh. Okay. And they even discuss it in the script. He says something like, Shinzon says something like, you know, uh... There's not much resemblance here, is there? Well, you know, uh, years in the dilithium mines will, will do that to you. It's like, what are you talking about? No, 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 it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. So those were two very bad things. Um, the third really bad thing is that it has the whole subplot of um, Troy and Riker getting married. Oh, God, now I remember right? okay. And then there's, And then they have to go put this in there. There's... So they get married, and then they're supposed to be going to uh, have Riker take command of a new starship. He's finally going to be a captain. Ooh, but then they get diverted by this thing with Shins on it. So they're on. They're serving together on the ship, and um, there's a scene where uh, they're actually in bed doing it. It's like, oh, I don't want to see that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but then, because of no reason, <laughs> I mean, literally, there was no reason for this to happen. Um, Shinzon invades. Troy's mind while she's having sex with Riker. Oh God, I remember this. And and basically rapes her. Yes. It's like, why does that have to be in the movie? Why do they have to do? It? And they did it in TNG at least once. I think mm -hmm. they did it more than one time where someone invaded her mind and and you know did a mental rape thing. Why did that have to be in the movie? It was awful. It was just really, really, really awful, and it made me kind of sick that they had to put that in there. Mm -hmm. You know, let's let's put the lowest possible thing of mistreating, you know, one of the two female characters in this whole movie. Let's go ahead and do it. Mm -hmm. Crusher doesn't really get to do very much in this movie. Lucky her. <sighs> um, but I will point out a lighter aspect to something in that scene or right before it. Mm -hmm. um, I had seen the movie, mm -hmm. and then somebody on one of our track list, one of our friends, and I cannot remember who it was, pointed out that it's their honeymoon or whatever. Yeah. And Troy comes in mm -hmm. dressed in something slinky, and they both put on the poundage. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and she goes, Imzadi. Uh -huh. And somebody pointed out that it's just like when Miss Piggy says, <laughs> Well, a couple weeks later, I was on a plane, and I was sleeping. And I woke up just in time to see that moment oh, in the movie, and oh. all I could think of was Miss Piggy, and I burst out laughing for <laughs> no discernible reason to anybody else on the plane. But, yeah, it's a real oh, Miss Piggy moment. It is. It is a Miss Piggy moment, and it's it just, you know, it doesn't work. They're not action heroes anymore, and they could have written it that way. Mm -hmm. The characters are older now. 
Riker has a whole scene where he, he battles a bad guy in some portion of the ship that we've never seen before. It looks like he was suddenly in the movie 2001 and was battling a bad guy inside of Hal. That's what it looks like. <laughs> and there's absolutely no reason for it to happen. It was just completely gratuitously thrown in there. And, you know, Jonathan Frakes, I love Jonathan Frakes. He's a really funny guy, but he's not an action hero. Yeah. And to see him trying to punch it out and jump through the Jeffrey's tube and all that, it's like, no, it doesn't work anymore. Yeah. It really doesn't work. Yeah, really, you got to <sighs> acknowledge the TOS movies for... Making that aging into part of the plot, exactly. part of the character growth. Yeah. <sighs> was it was Nemesis the last one? Yes, it was. Yeah, well, and, and a damn good thing. Too. And it, I think it. I read somewhere it made the least amount of money than any of them. I mean, it made less than Star Trek Five. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, uh, I mean, there are a lot of other problems with this movie too, which. I can't remember at this point how much of this was problems carried over from TNG or previous things, but there are lots of rules in the Star Trek universe, which they completely broke for this. <laughs> like, like Romulan ships can't transport when they're cloaked. I mean, they established this. Did they establish it in TNG, though? Because well, in TOS, mm -hmm. in um, the last TOS one... Which I forget what it was called. Generations? No, the one before that that was really Discovered Country? Thank you. The Romulans had developed the technology where they could fire cloak. Okay, firing is different from transporting. Them. Oh, I know, but I, I'm yeah. just saying they okay. could have developed even it, more. It's possible, it's possible. But, you know, when they set up those rules like that in the Trek universe, it was to make sure that you couldn't just do anything at any time. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the rules that they had, that you couldn't transport when you were cloaked. You couldn't fire when you were cloaked, but then they fixed that one. Um, and then that you couldn't transport when a ship had its shields up. Right. Yeah, because well, you couldn't transport through shields. They fucked that rule for this movie. It was like there were people transporting all over the place. And they developed for this movie a little quarter-sized thing that was like a magical transporter disc. So as long as you had this magical transporter disc, you didn't need a transporter to get you at the other end. It wasn't like a homing device. Mm -hmm. It was a transporter device. Right, it so it could transport you could, to wherever. Wherever you wanted to go. It's like, come on. Yeah. That's just taking technology and making it magic. Mm -hmm. Now it's not technology anymore. It's just magic for the plot convenience. Of right. It. Yeah, Ugh. that movie sucks. It really, really sucked. So there was one good thing that came out of it. Oh, by the way, the good guys won, in case you were wondering. Well, this is the one, too, where they pretty much ended up ripping off a lot of Wrath of Khan. Yeah, they did. They did. They yeah, now I'm remembering did. it because they were in a nebula and they were fighting. And stuff. Yeah, yeah, and 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 Data sacrificed himself to save the ship. Exactly. So yes, it, it was very much like that. Um, the one good thing that came out of it was that while I was um, doing a little googling <laughs> to to find out what other people said about this movie, I found this wonderful essay written by a guy named Christopher Priest, who's a comic book writer. Okay. Um, and he's very good. I, I like him. And he's written this great essay, and it's several years old, um, called Star Trek Goes Out with a Whimper. And I think I might have read, read that. So I think I might have, but started, go ahead. He started by reviewing Nemesis and saying why it sucked for a lot of the reasons that I was talking about here. But it led him into a much longer piece about why Rick Berman essentially fucked Star Trek up eventually. Uh -huh. That it wasn't entirely Berman's fault, but it was Braga's fault for a lot of things. Mm -hmm. um, and how that... Uh, the movies really played a large role in 
um, tarnishing the shine of Star Trek. And he points out, you know, that as we have said many times, that the series tried to do different things and that DS9, and he actually pointed out one thing about DS9, which is why I realized I like it, is that it's a political thriller. Mm. It's, it's not really a science fiction show. It's more about politics. I was like, oh, that's true, and that's why I like it, because I, I like those kinds of things. And, you know, that's very much what Battlestar Galactica, mm-hmm. but <laughs> Galactica is. Yeah. So he talks about why there were good things in um, First Contact and, and just goes through a lot of the reasons why certain things um, failed and why some of the casting um, didn't work. But it, it's a great, great essay, so I can highly recommend it. Um, and he's very funny, too. So um, he says things like this. And, and as I said, this was written several years ago, pretty much when um, Nemesis came out, which I think was 2003. It was that recent? Uh, I think so, yeah. Okay, well, go ahead. Um, so he was talking about the series that we're on at the moment, and he says, So what's left for those who remain? That is, the faithful Trek fans. UPN's occasionally interesting enterprise, which marginally succeeds on the strength of it not being Voyager. <laughs> <laughs> That's damning with faint praise. I love that. <laughs> so that kind of cracked me up. Um, and then he talks about why Braga did such a, a bad job on it. Um, and he says, uh, let's see, sorry, I, I didn't mark the, the things that I wanted to talk about, but, um, uh, oh, right, so back to Nemesis for a second. Um, Nemesis presents no explanation for why Worf is on the Enterprise. This is absolutely true, because in that. DS9, he was there, and then there was a conclusion to what happened to him, and there was a whole story built around it. It was part of canon. Like, mm-hmm. this was the thing. So he says, in the final episode of DS9, Worf leaves Starfleet to become the Federation ambassador to the Klingon Empire, which was exactly right. It was a growth for him. It was an arc for him. He lost his wife. You know, she she died. A lot of stuff happened, and it was really the next natural step for his character. So he says, but wait, there he is, firing phasers. Berman and crew, again, missing the point that they are ministering to a flock of fanatics who know this stuff. Mm-hmm. Nemesis offers Dorn absolutely nothing as an actor other than a paycheck and reinforcement of his Worf typecast. The last time Dorn had any opportunity at all to act was First Contact, which made very good use of Dorn. Insurrection and now Nemesis, however, don't even pretend to be ensemble movies. They are vehicles for Stewart and Spiner, and mm-hmm. both men seem to be taking the money and running. While Spiner does seem to be trying to do interesting work, he's a fabulous singer, finally getting to show that off in Nemesis' opening scenes. A man of Stewart's sheer gravitas should be ashamed for just walking through these limp stories. Well. So I think that's awfully well said. So I'm going to put up a link to this, and I recommend mm-hmm. that everybody read this essay because it's good. And he says he's a hardcore trekker since the 70s. So he knows whereof he speaks on this kind of stuff. But he really pointed out the reasons why Nemesis was a terrible movie and why they've gone wrong in so many places by mm-hmm. ignoring canon and not taking that into account. I mean, you don't have to cater to people, but you have to respect it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, segue. Yes. Speaking of what's coming up. Yes. Okay, as I think many of you know, but I'm going to reinforce this, I am avoiding the spoilers. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to send us stuff about the new movie, don't send it to look at his butt <laughs> at gmail.com because I monitor that account. Mm-hmm. You can send it to Lena. That's right. Which is, is, is fine. But I have seen a couple pictures, and that's okay. I'm just avoiding plot and character things. And, <clears throat> oh, it's starting to rain. Oh. A couple of things about the pictures. The, the few I've seen, this looks more like 
animation than live action. It's very shiny. It's very shiny, and the features of the characters are totally smoothed out. Mm -hmm. So yes. is it, are we going to see a live action, or is it a live action that they've made into a, a weird anime? Um, in the trailer that I watched, it mm -hmm. which I've not watched, I know it. It looked better. I think it's the pictures, okay, and the posters, and all of that stuff. And I completely agree with you. They've overlaid it with this very weird plasticky, yes, animated. So they all look androidish or something, and not in the data androidish way Correct. where you know right. it was makeup. No, it, it looks like a video game. No, I, I agree yeah. with you, and I continue to maintain that it looks like. The whole movie takes place inside an iMac. Yes. That's just my impression. Now, the other thing I want to say is, um, the reason I'm avoiding the spoilers is I just want to see this on its own merits mm -hmm. without preconceptions on my part. And the few things I have seen, like I say, these pictures, they were disturbing to me on the, the uh, inside the iMac aspect. <laughs> but, you know, the one that you blogged of, of Kirk getting it on in his underwear... I liked that because Kirk was getting it on in his underwear. And I know there have been some posting about who the woman is, and I've avoided all those, so don't tell me. But um, I'm thinking, you know, I know it's not Shatner, but maybe for people like me, it's not a bad idea to do a young Kirk because in my imagination, I can probably make it that he grows into that. Uh -huh. So it might add some some good fun for me, especially if he's getting it on in his underwear. And I'm thinking, okay, and I know this happened to you too, so don't try <laughs> to deny it just because we're speaking on the air. I really, really enjoyed when Tim Allen was shirtless in Galaxy oh, of course, Quest. Of course. Because I knew he's trying to do Shatner. Yeah. And Tim Allen does nothing for me, but boy, I loved that. So if they're going to continue or, mm -hmm. you know, Put some Kirkisms into uh -huh. it like that. I might like it. So I want people to know I am not at this point going into this with a negative, mm -hmm. oh my God, what have they done attitude, but I do not want the spoilers. And it's going to become harder and harder because I go to the movies yeah, a lot. They're going to show trailers. There's going to be trailers. Yeah. Now, um, do you think we'll get to see his butt? Naked? No. No? They're not no. going to do that. Because they're, they're going for the kid audience, mm -hmm. you know. I mean... Right. Now, I asked you this question after that I posted that picture, which, again, came from Logan. Because <laughs> he's just Yay, the source for that. Um, as soon as you and I start making money on this, we should pay him a salary. Oh, that would be awesome. Because <laughs> um, then he could do all kinds of stuff for us. And, and uh, you can tell me your answer, because it was the same thing. Um, if it had been permissible at the time <laughs> on TV <laughs> for Kirk... To be getting it on in his underwear. Because that's what it's on TV right now. And yeah. We see guys in their underwear. We see guys in less than their underwear. We've seen, Battlestar Galactica has got, gotten this close to full frontal. Yeah. Um, would Bill have done it? And I said, and I, I firmly believe this, he would have demanded it. <laughs> he would have campaigned for yeah. it. And if they had said, no, you can't do it, or you've got to do it in boxers or something that's not as skin tight and flesh colored so it looks like it's not even underwear... He would have said, fine, I'll be in my trailer, and the next time I come out, I will be in the underwear I've chosen, or naked. Take your pick. Can you imagine, though, if on TV, it would have been Bill in boxer briefs, in his cabin, you know... I'm thinking those skinny little pants that are in those that picture. They're they're like hipsters, you know. They're they're ridden down and they look very tight. And I'm thinking the head of his dick would have been oh, of course, poking out. Of course. 
<sighs> One can only sort of sigh for what might have been. Yeah, but you see, that's why I like that picture. Is it's, <laughs> it's feeding that what might have been. I also want to say I am really trying, and you and I had a discussion off the air, um, to finish up what will probably be my final Academy story <laughs> so I can get that done before they kind of mess up with my mind canon with well, this movie. So I'm definitely trying to get that done. That's a good story. Well, we're that's hoping. a really good story. We're hoping. It is. All right, um... I want to finish this up with uh, this segment with okay. one more Harry Mudd thing. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> so here's the thing. Um, I think as in our last discussion, um, we were talking about why there is no Harry Mudd fanfic. And I started looking for it. Oh, yeah. And I found some. <laughs> yeah, I know you did. <laughs> and some of it was horrible. Um, and interestingly, as we had predicted, the stuff that I could find was not really about him as a main character that you have this deep personal attachment to. He's more like um, a character who sets things in motion or, mm -hmm. or is the center of things. That's good. But I found this story, and I don't know if you remember this story, because I kind of sort of did, but then not really, that Scarlet wrote. What's it called? Mudness. I remember the title. I don't remember what happened. It was it. for one of the uh, the Fuck You Fests. It's a long, long time. Right, right. It's a very short story. Are you going to read it I'm to us? Read it. Oh, okay, good, goody. It's hilarious. I love Scarlett. She's such a good writer. Oh, yes. She wrote one of my favorite, or several of my favorite stories, mm -hmm. but go ahead. Okay. So, as I said, short story, I'll read. I hope I can do this justice. <clears throat> it's called Mudness. I'll put up the link to where it is. James T. Kirk's handsome face was covered with pimples. Is this the face that seduced a thousand women? He had asked his mirror shortly before taking his seat on the bridge, where his normally efficient helmsman Sulu had been making eyes at a giggling Uhura and playing pranks on a very irritable checkoff. Sick bay to Captain Kirk. Kirk here. Could you come down here a minute, Jim? The doctor's voice was breaking in a very uncharacteristic way. I'll be right there. Kirk out. You've probably already guessed that we have a slight medical problem, McCoy said, looking curiously at his captain's face. It had always been youthful, but now he looked like a 15-year-old. What's going on, Bones? My communications officer and my yeoman are giggling on the bridge like schoolgirls, and I saw two men from engineering fighting in the corridor on my way here. It's almost as if everybody suddenly went back to puberty. Your diagnosis is right on the spot, Captain. What the hell do you need me for? Kirk opened his mouth to answer, but McCoy quickly cut him off. I know, to answer that would take you a week. He winked. The fact is, when we picked up the refugees from Earth Colony 4, we also picked up a virus that's endemic on that planet. It affects the human hormonal system in such a way that the patient, regardless of age, is thrown into puberty, inevitably and indefinitely. This confirmed Kirk's fears. You have to find a cure, Bones. I can't run this ship with a crew of unstable teenagers. And an unstable teenager might not be the best starship captain either, McCoy pointed out. <laughs> yes, we're working on a cure, and I think we're on to something. But it will take a couple of days, perhaps weeks. Who knows? Meanwhile, this ship's in quarantine. I see. Kirk rubbed his eyes and judged the situation. It could have been worse. Aside from escorting the EC4 refugees to Starbase 11, they had no assignments that couldn't wait. Why don't you get Spock to help you? With his different biology, he might not be affected by all this. He should be able to work fast without ogling the lab assistants. The doctor sighed. That's a bigger problem. I'm afraid Spock's human heritage has betrayed him. Whoops, sorry. He's got the virus, but now he's got the worst of both worlds. Because of his Vulcan heritage, it's affecting him in a very different, very particular way. Kirk was horrified. You don't mean... The doctor nodded wearily. It's his time of the decade again. <laughs> And we're not anywhere near Vulcan, and even if we were, the ship's in quarantine. 
McCoy nodded again. Meanwhile, one of the nurses broke into tears, another was bending over to show her best side to the doctor, and the rest were blushing and giggling uncontrollably. Will Spock be able to hold on until you find a cure? Kirk asked, deeply worried. Your guess is as good as mine, Jim. Kirk stated the obvious. We don't want to lose him, Bones. And then the intruder alert sounded. <laughs> Harry Mud, you old rascal. Good to see you again, Jimmy boy. Don't you Jimmy boy me, Kirk wished his voice would stop breaking. You beamed yourself aboard against explicit instructions. You knew the ship was in quarantine. Oh, come now, it was an emergency. I had some former business partners coming after me, and they were threatening to use violence. Against me, can you imagine? They must have gone mad for some reason. Captain, this man is wanted by legal authorities in seven solar systems, a security officer reported. Thank you, Lieutenant. Kirk turned his attention back to Mud. By imposing yourself on us, you are putting yourself and your companions in danger. I heard about that darn virus, but I'll take my chances, and as for my companions, Mud smiled broadly under his generous mustache. Sheila and Leela aren't catching any viruses. Sheila and Leela? <laughs> They're the perfect women. They're androids, my new improved models. Jim, are you thinking what I'm thinking, McCoy hissed. Kirk thought quickly. Mr. Mudd, by all means, call me Harry. We're old friends, aren't we? Mr. Mudd, Kirk <laughs> pronounced elaborately. I propose an agreement. You mean a deal? Brown eyes sparkled with anticipation. A deal. We are prepared to overlook your intrusion as well as your criminal record and quietly take you to the planet or starbase of your choice if you will donate these androids to us. Harry Mudd's already big round eyes widened. This must be a darn troublesome virus you got here, Jimmy boy. I hear you're all behaving like horny teenagers, but couldn't you solve that problem among yourselves? Kirk offered a reluctant explanation. For one of us, it's become a matter of life and death, and I don't want to risk a member of my crew to solve his problem. Understanding dawned in Mud's jovial face. You're a Vulcanian officer, I presume. <laughs> he nodded thoughtfully, then looked cheerfully at Kirk. For the sake of our great friendship, I will be happy to sacrifice my lovely companions and save your science officer's life. Before anybody could burst out crying at this touching <laughs> offer, he added, I would prefer to beam down to Rigel, too, where I have good friends. Partners in crime, no doubt, McCoy muttered, but Kirk was even more impatient than usual and couldn't wait to make sure Spock would survive. We have a deal, Mr. Mudd. Kirk, McCoy, Mud, and the two truly ravishing androids, Sheila and Leela, formed a rescue party and headed for Spock's quarters. Two security guards were at the door with orders to discourage anyone who tried to enter. Kirk nodded to the guards and overrode the lock. Spock, he said in an adolescent version of his command voice. Good news! Two lovely ladies are here to... He gestured helplessly. To see you through this difficult time of yours. The dark shape that was crouching in the corner only growled. It's okay, Kirk explained, trying to sound convincing. The ladies are very willing and very robust. You don't have to worry about harming them. The crouching shape rose with the frightening speed of a Vulcan male in Ponfar. If I want anything, I will ask for it. Spark grabbed the android women and hurled them out of his cabin as if they were two bowls of plomic soup. <laughs> he then grabbed the person next at hand, who happened to be Harry Mudd, and shook him mercilessly. Women, you bring me, he raged. Would I touch a woman after what she, who was my wife, did? Is that what you think? He lifted Mud by the collar of his loose-fitting shirt and shook him again. Women, he roared. Untrustworthy creatures. I am sick of them. This time I shall quench my fire in a man. The healthy color had vanished from Mud's face when Spock put him down. <laughs> this man stays here, Spock said, his voice uneven but low, shaking with the last remnants of his self-control. You will leave now, he told Kirk and McCoy, or I shall surely break his neck. He'll die, Jim, McCoy warned. Spock, Kirk pleaded. 
Recognizing the blood fever in the Vulcan's eyes, he thought better of it. Please be careful with him. Yes, please be careful, Mud echoed. <laughs> McCoy was struck by a thought. Harry, do you still carry that Venus drug? Mud trebled in Spock's grip and nodded silently. Then for God's sake, take it, man. You said it made a woman more rounded and a man more muscular. You're going to need all that muscle and all the strength you can get legally or illegally. This seemed to get through to Mud, who start, stared into Spock's burning eyes with naked fear. If you'll permit me, Mr. Spock, I have a couple of crystals in my pocket. He glanced at the doctor, solely for medical purposes, of course. Take them, Spock rasped, only shifting his grip enough to let Mud reach into his pocket. Before the surprised eyes of Kirk and McCoy, Harry Mud transformed into a strapping hunk of a male with flowing mane of sandy hair and without the laughable mustache. <laughs> Looking good, Harry, Kirk noted. This one will do, Spock purred. He ripped off Mud's shirt easily, revealing a smooth, muscular chest. He ran his hands over it and almost grinned when the rosy nipples hardened under his touch. Yes, this one will do nicely. I'll do my very best. Husk the piece of beefcake that was Harry Mud. McCoy frowned at the tone of his voice. Harry? The man tore his eyes away from his Vulcan admirer. He was still locked in a tight embrace, putting up absolutely no resistance. What? You still here? McCoy looked at the couple in disbelief. Nothing. Wait, here. He tossed a tube from his medical kit towards Mud, but Spock caught it first. Use it liberally, McCoy advised. Kirk gently nudged the doctor's arm. Come on, Bones, we gotta mind the store. Alone at last with the Vulcan, Harry Mudd threw his head back to receive a burning kiss and shivered when his naked skin was claimed by feverish fingers. I burn, Harcourt Fenton Mud. My blood is on fire. Please, just call me Harry. <laughs> in sickbay, McCoy was taking a break in his office. Well, what do you know, Jim? Seems the Venus thing doesn't just change your appearance. It boosts the sex drive to unknown heights. Harry looked as if it had always been his secret dream to serve a Vulcan male in heat. I hope Spock won't hurt him, Kirk worried. He's a scoundrel, but we made a deal, and now I'm responsible for him. Nah, he'll be okay. A little sore maybe, but okay, and Spock will live. McCoy's tired, McCoy's tired face brightened a little. With a bit of luck, Harry won't even be sore. That lube I gave them contained an anesthetic. McCoy leaned closer to the doctor. Now that you mention it, I hope it wasn't from our private stash. McCoy wrapped his arms firmly around his captain. Don't worry, Jim. I would never do anything to dull your senses. I want to feel you exactly. I want you to feel exactly what I do to you. I want you to enjoy every inch that I'm going to give you tonight. Kirk smiled at his lover, eyes half closed. Do you know what you're doing to me when you talk like that? Yes. Door lock. <laughs> I just thought that was such a funny story. It is. She worked in so many good things. Yes. Yes. Please call me Harry. I like that a lot. So anyway, just wanted to get that out there. All so right. There, there that is, was like a Christmas surprise. It was. So there, there's at least one good piece of Harry Mudd fanfic. Uh, there is there. another one that, that I just thought of. Um, Harry is not the main character, and I'm not even sure he has much of a role in it. But it was written by, what is her name? Jin. Yeah. And it's one where Harry Mudd has given Christine Chapel an invisibility drug. And really? she, she goes... From cabin to uh -huh. cabin, um, you know. Wow! Seeing That's what's cool. going on, it's really a cool story. Oh, I, I can't think that. of the name of it though. Okay. Well, anyway, that's the story. Let's take a break. Let's take a break, and then we've got um, uh, we've got something really major to do. Yeah. So let's do that. Okay. okay. Cue the music.
was it that for was, Boston that Legal. That was the end of Boston Legal. And um, I want to open this by reading a message that was posted on the butt board mm -hmm. by Amanda. And she says, I am amazed at your predicting <laughs> skills or at David Kelly's stealing them. Yeah, well, he obviously listens to the podcast is what I would say. Uh, yeah, pretty obviously. But the other thing is she, she later asked if the people on the Shatner board were up in arms over that. And I have to say, no, so far, if anybody is up in arms over it, they're keeping it to themselves. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, I had kept it a secret from Lena. Well, I had watched I, it and amazing. I told her she had to avoid all the spoilers. So you, you so called it, dude. Um, so I mean, I, how long ago was it that we were saying? That was like two months ago when we were talking God, about it. It was even longer. But. Yeah, but we were talking about what the final episode might hold and that they had to do something dramatic and, and you said maybe Denny and Alan will get married because same-sex marriage is legal in Massachusetts. And they did. <laughs> so this is my victory lap. Bow down to you. You totally, you totally did it. You called it, dude. I called it. I called it. And you know, when I was watching it, I mean, my mouth was falling open <laughs> because I can't believe they're actually doing what you know I had said they should do. And then I just kept going. They're not really going to do this. Mm -hmm. It's a tease. They're not going to do it. And of course, they did. They did. They absolutely did. And uh, their reasons were. I thought not only financially valid, mm -hmm. but emotionally mm -hmm. very valid. Yeah, absolutely. They they said that all of the things that you had said about, mm -hmm. especially someone who has a medical problem, mm -hmm. uh, someone having to be with that, that person and wanting companionship and um, them getting the money issue resolved mm -hmm. and just, you know, and, and loving each other besides. And also, Denny pointed out one I hadn't thought of was that he's always in trouble with the law and he mm -hmm. always will be. And he needed to be able to tell Alan things and know Alan could not be forced to repeat them in court. Right, right. So he wanted Alan to have that spousal mm -hmm. protection. Yep. So it was for all the right reasons and they went through with it. Now, um, this, this finale had a lot of stuff going on in it, some of which we, I think, correctly identified as um, just a lot of hand-waving to, to fill it out. And yes, fill it. also did a lot of um, the weird time-warpy, slow-motion effect also mm -hmm. to make it longer, to make sure that it was two whole hours of show. I right. Think. And I honestly think... And I've thought this since like three episodes earlier when Shirley and Carl got engaged, that that was completely superfluous. Mm -hmm. And this whole idea of that all the main characters need to pair, pair up off, yeah. at the end, you know, that I thought it's Denny and Alan was, was enough. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess they wanted to do something to wrap up the Shirley story mm -hmm. more than anything else. I mean, it didn't really matter that she got married to Carl, but no. it's just something to wrap up her story, I right. think, was the important thing. And then all the rest of the characters, you're just like, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't really care what happens to them. <laughs> Fuck them. Now, the other weird time warpy thing that happened, and maybe I'm just wrong on geography, mm -hmm. which is not my strong suit, but I had thought Nemo Bay yeah. was in Western Canada. Oh, I could look it up on the computer. Mm -hmm. Okay, you do that, because what I was thinking is, okay, they went to Washington, mm -hmm. they argued before the Supreme Court, mm -hmm. they flew to Canada got married and flew back to Boston. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, if that's in Western Canada... <laughs> that wouldn't happen. I don't think, you know... Okay. British Columbia. Okay. So... So, yeah. 
that, that wouldn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> Unless they had um, their own supersonic jet. Which they don't. We Which know Denny has a, has a jet stream, but not a Concorde. Yeah. So. Well, you know, whatever. It sounded good. Mm-hmm. Yes. Although Shirley was wearing the world's ugly, ugliest <sighs> bridal dress. Yeah. Yeah, that was bad. Yeah. And then, the, so the two stupid subplots that were obviously filler, number one was uh, with Shirley and Carl getting married that uh, they end up having a huge fight about religion, mm-hmm. which was stupid and unnecessary right. and filled up a lot of time. And then the other one was Denny and Alan's proposal to be married being challenged by the uh, Gay and Lesbian Alliance as a sham marriage. Right. And because somehow it was devaluing regular gay marriages. Yeah, it was, that was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, and it, it, it really was to only give Alan a chance to grandstand in favor of same-sex yeah. marriage. Mm-hmm. As if him entering into one <laughs> wasn't enough of a positive endorsement. really stupid. So the two main things that happened in the episode were, well, so three things. Jenny and Alan get married. So we just told you that that's what happens. Yeah. Um, the other one was the firm getting bought by a Chinese company because they're running out of money and the economy and all that, and there's a whole lot of finagling that goes on mm-hmm. whether or not they're actually going to get bought by this Chinese company and whether the principals are going to be allowed to stay in that case. And then the third thing was Denny and Alan going to the Supreme Court to get the right for Denny to take some experimental medication to help him with his Alzheimer's. Right. Uh, so... Yes, they got bought by a Chinese company. And, and yes, Denny does get the, the medication. Yeah. Now, here's the thing I was wondering, and maybe you can explain this. This drug was being given in Europe, is that right? I, I don't know. Maybe I dreamed that part because I, don't, I guess they didn't actually mention it okay. in the episode, so maybe I'm thinking of some other drug or something that we don't have over here yet. Um, all they said in the episode was that it has shown great promise. Right. Now, I don't even know if there is such a drug. Oh, I don't think there is. Yeah. No. Um, so... Um, so it, it just occurred to me as we were watching it because you had said that thing about it being in Europe. Why doesn't he just go to Europe? Right. <laughs> or, or, you know, I, even if it's not in Europe, I was thinking with all the money and power and connections he has, he could just get it. Yeah. I mean, black market, under the counter, oh, whatever. Oh, sure. It wouldn't be a problem for him. So yeah, yeah. That seemed a little... I mean, I understand the point of them wanting to, to mm-hmm. go. And I have to say, having read a lot about um, drug trials and stuff like that, the woman who was the con side of mm-hmm. this made some really excellent points, which is that you just can't let people take drugs willy-nilly because you have to do clinical trials to get actual verifiable results. Mm -hmm. The funny thing that she was saying was that, you know, well, if we didn't have it like this, then people would, there would be companies bilking people out of lots of money for drugs that don't work. It's like, how is that different from the way it is now (laughs) when you can go to, you know, Whole Foods or GNC and buy like, um, what is it, coral calcium? Oh, this Mm -hmm. will fix everything. Right. No, it's, it doesn't and, do anything. And really, how is that different than the way they market drugs where we're all yeah. convinced we need drugs that for problems we probably don't have or yeah. problems that we're perfectly okay living with? Yeah, yeah. So I just, I thought that that line of argument was stupid. Yeah. Like, the whole thing about needing to have actual real clinical trials is absolutely valid. Mm-hmm. But the saying that suddenly it's the, this kind of behavior is going to cause some different behavior in the market is like, no, that's happened already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I really do appreciate David E. Kelly's and the series in general being willing to push these things further than I thought they would. I mean, to to take Denny actually into the first stages of Alzheimer's mm-hmm. 
in the in the previous couple episodes where you know he had to admit he was having these moments where he didn't know what was going on at the Thanksgiving dinner. He thought they were there celebrating his birthday. It's very hard to watch, mm-hmm. and this is just a, a character that we are fond of, mm-hmm. and so you know that made it a little more real. And then you know to show us the desperation mm-hmm. of someone who loves him mm-hmm. to help him. When Alan made the speech about if I could reach inside him and yank out that disease, it was so impassioned was and so real. And to push the um, the male friendship, mm-hmm. the non-sexual male friendship, and, and take it to this conclusion, which under current law makes absolutely perfect sense mm-hmm. for them um, to not back away from that. I mean, yeah, they, they didn't kiss, but what they've built up as these characters is they are not sexually attracted mm-hmm. to each other. They wouldn't kiss, but... Um, but they do love each other. But they do love and, each other and, and care very deeply. Exactly, and, and it is till death part them, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I wanted to say a couple of things about Bill's performance in this episode. Oh, he was so good. He was. Oh, my so, God. So starting from the beginning, the scene at the very beginning of this episode, he gets arrested because he has um, broken into a neighbor's house and uh, gotten into bed with this woman. I love Bess Armstrong. Yes. She has been in this before. Right. She's neighbor. established yeah. as a neighbor yeah. of Denny's. And so he, Denny tries to pass it off as a joke and a prank mm-hmm. and all that. And then eventually... Um, everybody comes to the realization that he was having an episode where he really didn't know what was happening. And there's a wonderful scene where Alan and Shirley confront him in his office and Alan won't let him get away with, with this and just says, you need to tell me the truth. And Bill does such a good job of that, that switch. Like it takes mm-hmm. place in just a second going from this blustery kind of, ah, everything's a joke to really showing you, as you said, the desperation of him and, and the fear and the fear, the fear was Amazing, and it made it all the more plausible when he s- said later, "I need to be able to tell you things, yeah. and no, they cannot be repeated in yeah. court." It was just so good, and, and Bill is such a good actor. You know, there's so many <sighs> ways you could have taken that, and he didn't do anything. He didn't change his posture. He didn't change his his body language. He was sitting at his desk with his hands folded like this in front mm-hmm. of him. He didn't do anything differently except his face completely yes. changed, and he didn't yell, and he didn't scream, and he didn't cry. He just spoke in a completely different manner. And that is someone who is a master of his craft. Over all these years in television, Mm -hmm. there is really nothing he doesn't know about acting Mm -hmm. in front of the camera and how to to achieve the effect you want to achieve. Mm -hmm. He was just great. He was he was phenomenal. Yeah, that's a, that scene by itself is just mm-hmm. should be you know acting lessons. Yes, so it's wonderful. So that was completely awesome. Um, and then I we both agreed that at the first end of the first hour they had a balcony scene, and it was the usual talk and, and this and that and and this is when Denny proposes to Alan, and. Bill was just being Bill. He was. He wasn't being Denny at all. He was just being Bill, and it was really good. But it, it's funny to see him. It's very jarring for me, in a way, to see him being Bill on camera like that when he's mm-hmm. an acting job, because it's very clear to you and I that that's not Denny Crane, that that's really Bill, and I wonder if other people notice that. Well, the thing is, we both said, oh, my God, the, the charm just comes oh, oozing. Oozing, oozing. And that smile... Mm-hmm. And the way his face changes, mm-hmm. 
when he is in romantic, seductive mode. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I mean, really, when you stop to think about it, is it because is it because that's the bill technique, and he has used it to great effect as Captain Kirk, and so that's where he goes, uh-huh. or is it that? Damn, that works so well, Captain Kirk. That that's where he goes. But oh, that scene was so good. You know, he is it's so touching and funny, funny to watch. He's just pouring it all on. You know, mm-hmm. because th- that's the other good thing I liked about this too was that Danny's decision to ask Alan to marry him is completely thought out, and he mm-hmm. has all of the possibilities nailed. Like every time Alan throws up another objection, he's got the answer. Yes, and he is another reason why he should do it too. Mm-hmm. And he goes through it in this very logical funny, friendly, persuasive, like, come on, you know I'm right. Just agree with me. But the nice thing, too, is there are all these wonderful, logical, financial, Mm -hmm. um, legal reasons they should do it. But he's not doing it as if he is just sitting there proposing, I should make you the beneficiary of my will or whatever. He is saying those lines as though he was saying, I love you, I can't live without (laughs) you. You know, it, all those those yes. romantic outpourings. Oh, it was great. <laughs> it, it was, was so wonderful. Good. That was a great, great scene. And you know, when he's playing something like that, just the way his face changes and lights up. Yeah. He, he still looks old, but he you can see the young at heart. Definitely. Just shining through. Yeah. Well, the speech at the end, so when Ellen's talking mm-hmm. to the Supreme Court, I gotta say they laid his 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 kookiness on a little too thick for me right there. Very thick, like, yes. Come on, get off it. Um, but when he talks about Denny and, and why Denny is so important to him, he's talking about Bill. I mean everything mm-hmm. he said about Denny is absolutely true about <gasps> when Bill. When he was saying that he approaches the world with awe uh, and, and surprise and, and, and oh. that he takes you know this joy and that he's curious about everything and, oh yeah you know it's like that's just bill that's yep. just david e. kelly writing about bill right yep there. i was thinking the exact same yeah. thing that was wonderful i also really really liked uh the thread that bill had running through this episode uh with shirley getting married that he played it right on the edge where you could see in every scene where he was talking about it he's and shirley has asked him to give her away at the mm-hmm. wedding how much he is still in love with her and that he really does wish it was him and and you just see it all in his face and in the way he does it that he loves her so much he, he loves her as a friend but he still carries that love with him from mm-hmm. way back when and that he still thinks that she is an incredibly beautiful woman and, yes you know and in every interaction that they have that was there and then right at the end when he's dancing with her at the wedding He has his eyes closed and his cheek is sort of pressed up against Mm -hmm. her. And you just see it all in his face, the love and the longing and a little bit of regret. And the loss. And the loss, but the happiness at the Mm -hmm. same time. He just, it's amazing how he manages to convey all that at the same time. I very, I I hate to say, um, I was thinking the word bittersweet, but it's more sweet and bitter. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not the bitterness that comes first, it's the sweetness that's first with just a little tiny flavor of the the bitterness at the end. Well, the other nice thing, this wasn't in this episode, but in the episode before, there was a moment where Denny was in his office um, thinking about Shirley, and they used old footage of young Candace Bergen. Mm. She was swimming. Mm. She looked so gorgeous. And I can't remember exactly how the conversation followed when Alan came in, and uh, and Denny said something like, Oh, no, I, w- I was just... Uh, you know, he had had a very far away look in his eyes, and he said something like, "Oh no, I was just napping." Yeah. And then he said to Alan, "Were my eyes closed?" Mm. So it was it was a beautiful moment, and it was a scary moment. Yeah, yeah. Because you definitely got the idea that 
that young, beautiful Shirley had been very real to him yeah. at that moment, mm -hmm. that he didn't know he was a 78-year-old right. man or... or yeah. That was just great. So they've made really good use of the fact that they have these stars who have this wonderful history that they can actually call on those images, yeah. like the the episode where, you know, Defender. they use the Defender. Yeah. That was amazing. This was great. Well, I have to say, what a good finale. Oh, I mean, yeah. Shows, the finales of most shows suck, usually. Mm -hmm. They're just awful. They try to cram too much stuff in, or it's just overly dramatic. It's so unsatisfying in so many ways, but this was a really good ending. And when, <laughs> when they finally, when Alan finally agrees to marry Denny, of course they have to say it would make a good television series. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, the other thing is, you know, before this came on, I was thinking, you know, I wonder how, you know, I'd been watching it all along, so I, I knew, you know, the firm was being, bought, you know, going out of business, going broke, and everything. But I was thinking, I really wonder how they're gonna end this because last season when they didn't know if they were on or off and they did the gone fishing it was really good and I was thinking you know that was a very satisfying ending mm -hmm. and I wasn't thinking so much are they going to top it but thinking can they do something that good and that classy mm -hmm. and for the most part they did you I know like did. like we said there was some padding there was some unnecessary neatness mm -hmm. but um yeah, it was good. And Jerry, hats gets, off. Jerry gets to kiss his girlfriend. Yes, always a good thing. And uh, we, we were talking too about those two actors who play Jerry and Katie. That they're very good, and it's nice that unlike every other uh, supporting character, they have been allowed growth mm -hmm. as people. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and even in this episode, I, their relationship is very cute and playful, mm -hmm. and it could so easily have gone down. The um, the pity path mm -hmm. for either of them. Yes, and it never did. No, no. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I think one of our favorite lines though was uh, when Alan said, "I don't want a mercy dance." <laughs> <laughs> I think we both funny. repeated that because we liked it so that much. That was really, 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 really funny. Yes. Yeah, there were a lot of funny things, uh, and the fact that they get to be married by a Supreme Court justice was pretty good. And and you know they just kept throwing these little things in when when. He says to them, okay, now join hands. And Denny immediately grabs Shirley's Yes, yes. has to sort of pull him away. Yeah. They just had a lot of, of little touches and a lot of meta stuff that was in mm -hmm. here. With the Chinese people at the end who were the, the new owner and his translator. And he's saying, you know, oh, Denny Crane, he's so crazy. Yeah, but Alan Shore, talk, 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 talk. talk, talk. <laughs> well, the other thing we have to point out, there were a couple of so incredibly fake things. Oh, yes. <laughs> the background of Nemo Bay was obviously it, blue screen. It was Green screen, a, whatever. As bad a back projection as I have ever seen, and I include movies like um, that scene from All About Eve when uh, they're walking down the street, you know, and it's clearly back projection. It's like, oh, it's so bad. Or the driving scene. Yes, 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 or in any of those movies. And the other incredibly fake thing, and I rem it instantly made me remember that, um, I don't know, maybe the show is in its second, third season. One of our listeners wrote in to us and said they had gone to 500 Boylston Street, which is ostensibly the building. Uh, Crane Pool and Schmidt is in, and you know it's really fun. But there are no balconies mm -hmm. anywhere on anything. Well, so <laughs> they showed them on the balcony, and they panned back. So you know, Denny uh -huh. and, and Alan got smaller and smaller. And as they're panning out, we're seeing the building, and this was so obviously <gasps> photographically just jammed in. Awful. It looked horrible. It was ridiculous. And as I said. I always had the impression that they they were like on the top floor or something, mm -hmm. and that their balcony was open, 
or that it was, you know, some corner office where there was nothing, there was no roof or right. ceiling above the balcony because it never looked like there was a roof or a ceiling above and the balcony. And if you're the name partner, Schmidt and, yeah. and Crane, you would be on the top floor. It just looked ridiculous. It, 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 they pull it back and it looks like this wee, it looked like the kind of balcony that you get in a bad rental apartment where it's like, you know, foot wide. Yeah. You can put one plant and your bike out there and that's mm-hmm. it. Like, you can't fit anything else. That's how bad it looked. Yes. <laughs> so, but all in all, this is uh, a wonderful, wonderful send off. Yeah. So, and I just have uh, to say, I hope there's never a reunion. Yeah, that would be bad. Um, I'm wondering, seriously, if they're going to try to spin any of this stuff off or whether that was all just banter. I don't know. I haven't heard anything. Well, in, in this episode and the one before where, as I say, Carl had a, a case mm-hmm. um, to sue the networks because there was no programming for older <laughs> viewers, they've really been slamming ABC. Yeah. Well, the, even Denny said that. When, yeah. When Alan said, yeah, it could be a series, and he said, on another network, that cares. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, um, I mean, who knows? Uh, what I'm hoping is they do not... You know how they took um, Mary Tyler Moore, which was a great comedy, and spun off Lou Grant, which was a drama? I hope they don't take this good drama and decide to make a sitcom and odd couple type show. Yeah, that would be awful. That would be really... Jerry would be the wacky neighbor. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That could be really awful. So it was good that they didn't wrap everything up. They left it very ambiguous at the end, whether Crane, Poole, and Schmidt will continue or whether they're going to still be working there or they're just going to quit or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it was good that they didn't have to wrap up every little thing. Right. I I was glad that they left it that way. I'm just so glad that um, that you avoided hearing any spoilers or discussion about it. Yeah, I know. It's not not easy. But I really wanted, you know, you to be surprised. It was great. It was just great. They're not doing this. They're just toying with us. And they did it. It was great. It was totally awesome. Cool. Um, well, I think th- th- that should probably be the end of things because this is a long show. All it is. And so we just uh, want to say... Uh, happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy, happy everything. Hanukkah. All those things. And... Happy Festivus. <laughs> the most important one. And um, we also want to remind you that we are hosting a festival. <laughs> we are hosting the opening night of the Women on the Way Festival That's in right. San Francisco, January 18th. That's right. Um, and I put it up on the blog yes. so people can check. I'll, I'll keep posting that information so yes. you know when and where. Also, we do have a couple little Christmas presents for you. That's right. Some uh, special podcasting treats. Yes. That, that will be coming separate from this. Separate from this. It'll be a special Christmas podcast, um, and you'll just have to wait to find out what it is. Oh, and I also just want to quickly thank those of you who sent us congratulations on the 100th show. Oh, yes. And we're going to talk about that in the next show. This one was just so jam-packed and is our Christmas one. Yes. So, um, and it'll be Christmas again in the next show because then I'll be giving you your presents. Oh, hooray. <laughs> So, uh, yes, happy holidays, everybody. And I guess we'll be back with another live show in 2009. Oh, okay. Because it is. I mean, Christmas is, like, coming really yeah, soon. Yeah, very soon, very soon. I'll be away, and we'll be doing stuff, and, yeah. So okay. It'll be the new year. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Thank you.